you don't have one of these and you're a parent especially and you want one, they are available for free out in the hallway down on our little discipleship resources table. You can pick one up, put it in your hot little hands, and then every uh, week there are things to read together, passage scripture, uh, things that how to apply what you're learning to your head, what are you, things to know, uh, things that are meant to change your heart, uh, things for you to, to do with your life, people to share it with. So um, if you don't have one of those, that, that's a good resource and it is available free along with everything else down there on that uh, discipleship resources table. So uh, one of the biggest questions, one of the most important questions to answer at the beginning of any understanding of the Christian faith is this, who is God? Amen? Um, so, uh, one of the things that we affirm is that there is one God, and that that God is the creator of all things, that He is holy, in other words, distinct from everything else uh, that He made, uh, that He is infinite in His perfections and in His power, uh, that He is perfect, that He eternally exists in a loving relationship of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how many gods are there? One. Uh, how many persons are there in the Godhead? Three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, one of the things that, that, make, that makes Christianity unique because of that is this. That we can say because God eternally exists as a loving unity of three divine persons and one being who is God, is that God has always been a God of love. He always has existed as a God of love. Because there was always love within the Godhead itself. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit. There's this this unity of divine persons and, and an eternally existing relationship of love within them. And so God is love. He doesn't act in a loving way when creation gets started. Right? That's the Islamic belief, by the way. They believe in a, in a monopersonal deity within Islam. And so they say, well, God becomes loving when he creates us. And we would say, no, God is love and has always been and always will be. And, and it is because we believe in a triune God. So that's not all in there. That's free. Um, but, that's, um, but that's really important to know that God is a God of love. And it is because he is a triune God that he has always existed in a perfect relationship of love within himself, and then creates us and all the rest of creation out of the overflow of his love. So, uh, we're going to be back this morning in James chapter 1. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, flip over to James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, grab me afterwards, because we have a bunch. We buy them in bulk. I'm not kidding. And we give them away. Okay, so if you would like a really nice Bible... Um, We'll give you one, uh, but uh, we're going to be in James chapter 1, and as you make your way there, 
Uh, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you were confronted with a situation in which you genuinely did not know what to do next? You're just like looking at your life and you're like, I do not know what to do here. You have no, way, no idea how to get from where you are in that moment to where you would like to be. And you're just wondering, how, how, what do I do now? Or you think to yourself, man, I wish there was a manual or something to tell me what to do here. Now before you get down the path on that question too far, let me tell you that there is a manual for life. Amen? Uh, what is it? Starts with starts with B, yeah, <laughs> right. It's your Bible, right? Um, the Bible does answer a tremendous number of questions for us as believers in Jesus, right? About uh, who we should marry, about how our finances should go, about uh, what kind of relationship we should have with other people, and how we should treat them, and how to forgive uh, when people hurt us, and all of these kinds of major life questions are covered in the pages of this book. Okay, among others. In fact, there are thousands of things that the Bible addresses, but does the Bible address every given situation? No, not specifically. It doesn't. And, um, and you know, God is very helpful to us in the Word because He does say He is, gracious, he is a gracious God and a good God, and He even is, is helpful enough to us that He'll say things like, this is God's will concerning you. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do, in other words. Right? Like he does in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, which I won't tell you what that is. Look it up. It'll do you good. Um, but as wide and as deep as the Scripture's instructions are, they do not address every single situation that you might confront. Where the choice is not between doing one good thing versus a terrible thing, but it might be between one good thing and another good thing. And so you might be in a situation where you genuinely do not know what to do. Now for me, the season of life that had the most of our, those situations where I just like looked up at the Lord and said, I don't know what to do here, was when I was raising my kids. Any of y'all parents? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you are constantly put in situations with your kids where you're like, I know what I want as the ultimate goal, and I can see where we are today, and I do not know how to connect from here to there. And Lord, I've been looking in this book, and I haven't found the answers for my specific situation. I need help. Amen? I constantly prayed that way. I really did. And the response was not necessarily clear. And so the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today tells us how to get the wisdom that we really need in situations where we don't know what to do. Where the Scripture doesn't speak specifically about your situation and you don't know what to do, what do I do then? Well, this passage is all about that. So, uh, I invite you to stand with me. We're going to read the whole thing. Uh, it's just a few verses. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. 
This is what the Word of God says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Would you pray with me? Father, we do not want to be double-minded men and women. We want to be people of faith. People who trust you with all that life throws out at us. With all that we are as people. Father, help us to, um, to recognize that knowing what kind of God you are ought to cause us to trust explicitly in what you tell us in your word. And Father, we pray for your help by your Holy Spirit because we sure need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, verse 5 almost couldn't be any simpler, right? If you're in a situation or you need wisdom, ask God. All right, let's close in prayer. Um, all right, the reason you should ask is because what? What's the scripture say here? Because God gives generously to all without finding fault. God gives generously without finding fault. Your Bible may read without reproach or something like that. That's also a good translation. The point is, is that God is the kind of God who won't make fun of you for not knowing what to do. He's the kind of God who will not scorn you for coming to Him and asking. God will never say anything like, uh, well, I can't believe you don't know how to do this or what to do in this situation. I mean, really? Come on, man. The Lord is not going to say that to you. Right? Now, those of you who know me well know that um, that the Lord always makes me practice the things that I'm about to preach, right? Sometimes in the same week. I had a situation like this this week where somebody came to me in need and I said to them, dude, why did you not come to me before? And then I had the Spirit of God speak to me and say, you moron. <laughs> okay, did you not just write about a God who does not reproach people who come to Him for help? I was like, so I, I need to circle back on that and come back to that person and say, okay, dude, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, that was not... That, look, can I start over and try that again? That would have been, let, me, let me do this the right way this time, right? I want to be like, like the Lord is and not like I am in my, in my dealing with people, right? If you're a parent, this should be the way that you respond when your kids call you and say, hey, uh, Dad, uh, I'm in the ditch, right? What should be your first question? Are you okay? Do not ask about the car, right? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm on my way, right? When you need help, and you come to your parent, and you come to the Lord, you ought to be able to expect that you're in a mess, 
is going to be able to come without reproach. Right? So, that's how the Lord is. Uh, so, easy peasy, right? This passage, how this, how this applies. I don't know what to do. Ask the Lord. Ask, and by the way, He's a generous God. You ought to underline that word. He's a generous God. Generous God. In other words, He's not up there sitting on His hands going, I'm not going to get you out of this mess. You made your bed, you can lie in it. <laughs> okay? That's not the way that God is. He's generous. He's gracious. And He will give you His wisdom without finding fault with you for asking. Is that a good promise or what? And this is good news. Amen? James gets a bad rap sometimes uh, for being blunt, right? But this is a really good promise. That look, remember, you have a generous God who gives to you without finding fault when you need help. When you need His wisdom, ask Him for it, and He will give it to you. That is a good and encouraging word. Now, some of you who are the more astute Bible students among us may have noticed there's one very big condition on this promise in verse 6, which is asking in faith. You have to ask in faith. And that's what James explains in verses 6 through 8. You have to ask, in other words, actually believing God's Word rather than doubting it. And James gives us some very poetic illustrations of what a doubting person is like. He says, first of all, a doubter is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. The point is, is that just like a wave doesn't control its direction, but goes whichever way the wind blows, driven by forces outside of itself, so is the person who is doubting God and His promises. When you doubt, what you're doing is you're letting circumstances outside of you determine where you end up. And that is not God's will for your life. For my life either. His plan is that we would be driving through circumstances rather than being driven by them. And that we would be following His direction rather than being carried along by whatever outside pressures and forces dictate. Amen? He does not want us to be like a wave that's just driven along by whichever way the wind blows. I guess I'm going east. Why? That's the way the wind's blowing. Today I'm going north. Why? Well, the, the wind is blowing that way. Right? That's not the way that a Christian is to be. A Christian is to set his sails according to the direction that God is pushing. Right? And so if you're asking God for wisdom and doubting Him at the same time, though, according to verse 7, you shouldn't plan on getting anything from the Lord. He is a good and a generous God, but if you're asking Him without believing He will give it to you, why would He give you something that you aren't really looking for? And then on top of that, you wouldn't recognize that you got. Right? Like, look, I will help you if you genuinely want help. But if you don't want my help, okay, work it out, <laughs> right? 
He is a good and a gracious and a generous God, but he actually wants you to do what you're asking for. To actually believe that his, that he will give you his wisdom and that you are willing, therefore, to follow it. In verse 8, we get James' second illustration where he refers to the, the doubting person as the double-minded. Now, y'all, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, right? Uh, we had four channels growing up. Uh, I was so excited when, like, Fox came out. It was like, we've got five channels now. This is amazing, right? And But because of that, when I was home during the day, there wasn't a lot on TV. It was game shows and, like, Donahue and, uh, and then Sesame Street, right? So guess what I was watching as a little guy? A whole lot of the electric company in Sesame Street. Now, on Sesame Street, they had this critter. I don't know if they still have him on or not. I've watched Sesame Street in a bit. But um, they, had this, uh, they had this little blue monster. Do you remember him? He had one head over here and one head over here. Right? Only two hands, but two heads. And, and he would run around. And, and he, he, never, he always had trouble figuring out where he was going. Right? Like... The, the, right, the right side head always wanted to go to the right. The left side head always wanted to go to the left. And then they all kind of, they were just kind of always pulling on one another. It's funny. If you're like five years old, it's great, right? Highly entertaining. Um, you parents of little kids, is that critter still on there? I don't know. Anyway, uh, point is, is that that blue monster is a visible picture of what James is describing. Of a, of a person who is torn between two ways. Between going God's way and the other way. And at this point, you might be thinking, okay, well, what does it really mean to doubt? I mean, can't authentic faith include some doubts here and there about some things? Some things we don't understand or, or maybe some things we aren't quite sure on? And the short answer to that question is yes. I can genuinely believe God's Word and still have some questions about how things might work even while I'm obeying the Lord and pursuing Him. But I don't think that those kind of questions are what James is describing here as doubts and reasons why you won't get God's wisdom. What I think James is describing are illegitimate doubts that make us double-minded, and incapable of receiving God's wisdom, even though God is generous to give it. So let me identify some of these ways that we might doubt. First, we might doubt the necessity of God. Now, believe it or not, even among Christians, I think this is sadly pretty common. I remember being a seminary student and hearing Pastor Tommy Nelson speak to all of us and he said, you know, the reason you do not pray is because you have so much confidence in yourself. Let that sink for a minute. Because it hit me like a two-by-four between the eyes when he said that to all of us. The reason you do not pray is because you have such confidence in yourself. In other words, you don't think God is really necessary. And if he doesn't show up, if you're going to be okay, you're smart, you're confident, you're successful, you can kind of figure it out. Right? 
I don't know what we'll do. We'll kind of amble along and whatever. I don't know if he is really necessary. And your prideful self-reliance, you can really believe that. Even though this situation is difficult, and I'm not sure that I know what to do, I'm also not quite sure that I need God and His wisdom to navigate. And so maybe you pray for wisdom, but you ask at the same time, thinking this way. And Lord, if you don't guide me, I'll just figure things out on my own. And so you doubt the absolute necessity of having Him lead you in every situation. Is God absolutely necessary in every single situation in your life? Say it with me. Yes. You may need to preach that to yourself so you believe it. That God is necessary. And the first thing we ought to do when we hit a situation where we don't know what to do is to first of all ransack the Scriptures and see if they, if they say anything to me about what to do here. And if they don't, and to hit our knees and say, Lord, I need your wisdom. And of course, in that is is an assumption that you're going to follow it. We'll get to that in a minute. But you can also doubt the power of God, doubting that He is able to give you the wisdom you've requested. Now, I doubt that very many of us would actually say that out loud because if you've been part of Chile Bible for a while, you've been taught that God is omnipotent in His power. In other words, that God can do anything that is possible and consistent with His character. I don't mean possible for us. I mean possible for Him. Right? So anything that's, in a sense, theoretically possible, God can do if it's consistent with His character. But you might nevertheless still doubt that God is able to give you wisdom because this situation is so very hard for you that you don't have that you don't really see how even God could have wisdom to offer you that would guide you through it. Right? Lord, I don't know what to do. You probably don't either. Um, so you know. I'm going to ask for wisdom, but I'm not sure that you have any to offer. You can doubt his power. You can also doubt the love of God. Doubting that he cares about you and your situation. Now remember, this letter is not written to just people who are comfortable and warm and just had coffee and a donut inside a church building. In other words, it's not the original audience is not people like us. This letter is written to people who've been forcibly displaced from their homes by the church's first great persecution, which came not because of foreigners or a government, but their fellow Jews, members of their own people, probably including at least some members of their own families. Is that hard? Yeah, baby. That's hard. And... When we're in trouble and we're in pain and we don't know what to do, we can look up at the sky and wonder aloud why, if God loves me, I'm in this situation to start with. Amen? If God is is a God of love, how come He let this happen to me? And by the way, most of us think me is the most important word in that sentence. Right? 
How come God let this happen to me? And we can start to doubt God's love for us. But remember this. First of all, that the greatest tragedy in the world in, in all of history is the crucifixion of the Son of God. The only innocent person who has ever lived was put to death in violence, pain, and death. Greatest tragedy in the history of the world. But it was also also the greatest thing that ever happened. The greatest blessing to all the world. Jesus cried out, forsaken from the cross, so that you and I would never have to cry forsaken from Him. Amen? God's wisdom is superior to yours and to mine. God is often doing things even when we are like, Lord, I don't feel real loved right now in this circumstance. He loves you and He is working in them. And painful and hard and confusing circumstances are not a reason, therefore, to doubt God's love for you or a good reason to doubt that He will still give you His wisdom in those hard circumstances. Amen? So don't doubt the Lord. He loves you. And finally, you can become double-minded when you doubt the wisdom of God itself. Doubting that His wisdom is actually something worth doing. There's all kinds of things that God may call you to do or me to do that might look foolish in the eyes of the world. And you can look at God's calling or His commands or His leading by the Spirit telling you to do something that's very hard indeed and say to yourself, well, I'm not sure what God may, I want to do what God might tell me to do. I'm not sure I actually want to follow through on this. And so I'm going to ask for God's wisdom and see what He says. And if it sounds crazy, I mean, I'm not doing that. Right? We can doubt God's wisdom and leave open the idea of whether we'll do it or not and try to receive it at the same time. All of these things are ways that we might experience double-mindedness. And it's because when we're doubting in these ways, we don't really believe what the Bible says about God's power and His goodness and His generous heart or we don't really believe that His wisdom is good for us, practically speaking. Like in the on the like at street level, we don't think that what God is telling me to do is really good for me. But what we do need to remember in that is that God is in fact not only good Himself, but His ways are good for us, both spiritually and what they accomplish in our hearts as we're conformed to Christ and practically in terms of the results in our lives day by day. I'll give you just one example of this. Okay, And this is something that the Scripture does speak specifically on, so it's not exactly a situation where I didn't know what to do. But when I was in high school, I was dating a girl, and some of my 
non-Christian friends were asking me uh, about the extent of our relationship and all of that and how, how, uh, how things were progressing and so forth. And I said, well, look, you know, we've already made a decision that whether we are together or not, we're waiting until the day that we get married. And my friends looked at me and told me that was the dumbest thing they had ever heard in their life. They're like, come on, man. That is crazy. That is foolish. That is stupid. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, because the Bible says. <laughs> okay. And, and they said, well, that's dumb. Nobody does that. I'm like, well, I'm going to. And they say, you will never make it. Well, fast forward several years, different girl, didn't marry that one. And there was a red-headed girl that I fell in love with, and we waited until we got married, and we rejoiced in that. Right? And you, you know what I'm here to tell you? It was not easy. But also, I have experienced God's blessing in that for 28 Amen? Everybody in the world told me, that is dumb. That is foolish. That will never work. You will never make it to the altar. And I said, well, the Lord says I should and that He will give me His Spirit and help me so that I will. And that if I do, I'll be blessed in that. And I have been. His wisdom is superior to mine. Amen? His wisdom is superior to mine. Um, and, and the point in this is, that, is this, is that God's wisdom really is essential. Whether it is a right and wrong decision, which the Scripture gives us abundant testimony on, or whether it's a right and left decision directionally, like where do I go, what do I do here, Lord? His wisdom is better than mine. And therefore, whenever I'm confronted with a situation where I don't know what to do, I don't want to be double-minded. I want to do what verse 5 says. I want, to, I want to seek the Lord, knowing that He is a good and a generous God who will give to me without finding fault with me for asking. I want to run to Him I want to hit my knees and say, Lord, I don't know where to go next. But I know that you love me. and I love you. I know you're a God of power and of wisdom. I know that you are a God who, uh, whose wisdom for this situation is absolutely necessary for me. And on top of that is, is for my good and your glory. And therefore, I'm asking that you would give me your wisdom. You've got to know that God is loving and deeply cares for you in your pain. And he really is wise. He's much wiser than your friends and your family and the culture at large. So if anyone act, lacks wisdom, what do we do? Ask God who gives generously to everyone without finding fault. And we ask in faith, in full confidence of God's power and His love his wisdom and the absolutely essential need we have for him in every situation. Amen? Amen. All right. James is simple. Let's pray. All right.
Father, we thank you that your wisdom is always good for us. And not just good for us in the, in the way that broccoli is good for us. It doesn't taste very good, but it's nourishing. But good for us in the sense that it has a savor and a joy and a blessing that is, that is not only visible, but something we feel in our hearts and in our lives, something we experience. It's the goodness of your wisdom for us. Father, we experience that most tangibly in the gospel. According to the wisdom of the world, God should not get killed. And God should not die for critters that he made out of dirt. Father, your wisdom is superior to the wisdom of the world. And your love is greater than all the love in the world that humans have. And out of your great love for all the people in the world, you sent your Son to die on a cross, to, to suffer, to bleed, and to die in my place that I might be made right with you. And then to raise Him from the dead, Father, that we might have new life also. And Father, we thank You for that example of Your wisdom that causes us to understand that You are a God who is generous, a God who loves us, a God of power, a God of wisdom superior to the world. And so Father, whenever we're in trouble, I pray we would seek You by Your Word and Spirit that we would read and we would pray and we would ask for you to lead us knowing that you will if we believe what you've promised. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.